1: Forever DOG
0: Welcome to Relatively Healthy. I'm Janie Stoller, your host. So happy you're here. What an amazing episode we have today. Lately, we've been talking about body image, and it's been really great to talk about it from so many different perspectives. We had someone who understands nutrition, and we had a gay man. I mean, that's the spectrum, right? I'm offending so many people already. Okay. But today, we have an academic genius who is so cool. She's a professor at Northwestern, and her research is about body image and self-acceptance and the way our group dynamics affect how we feel about our weight, like all these things that we know are true but have never seen research about. So her name is Dr. Renee Engeln, and um, I really recommend, one, she has a TEDx talk, which is phenomenal, about beauty sickness. She has a book called Beauty Sickness, which you should definitely check out. She has a blog on Psychology Today, and you can also find more information on beautysick.com. And that's where I really did a deep dive before our conversation into all of the incredible research and writing she has done on how we are all sick, and you will find out how. Okay, I am here with Dr. Renee Engel, and she is a professor at Northwestern. She runs the Body and Media Lab. She is amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Renee. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So I, in uh, getting ready for our conversation, did a deep dive in some of the stuff you've written and the um, TEDx talk you you gave, and I found it so fascinating. And there's a term uh, in your talk and your book called beauty sickness. So for our listeners, what is beauty sickness, and how did you arrive at that term?
2: So I should clarify that beauty sickness isn't the kind of thing you get diagnosed with at the the doctor's office. Um, It's a term I started using to really capture what's going on with a lot of women and a lot of girls, too, in our culture. So what I mean by beauty sickness is that... Your energy and your attention and your emotional resources get so caught up, so dedicated to worrying about how you look that you don't have enough of those things left for the other things in your life that actually matter more to you, things that you care about more. So being beauty sick is, is like having your resources stolen. Um, yeah. It's not, not feeling like you have enough to really be present and focused on other things.
0: Yeah, there's something to that that you spoke about in your talk I thought was so interesting about when you have, when you are affected by beauty sickness, you're not just thinking about how you see the world, you're thinking about how you are being seen. And like you said, it's sort of this huge chunk of your brain when you don't realize it is being devoted to this, to this sickness that um, is invisible. It's fascinating. Exactly.
2: Um. Psychologists, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Uh, psychologists tend to call that body monitoring or mm. body surveillance. So it's the idea that you're moving around in the world, but your brain's always like, oh, wait, how do I look? Right? And yeah. kind of keeping track of all those things.
0: Yeah. And you don't even realize how much is being occupied. Your brain is being occupied by that. It's not really a measurable thing. So that's fascinating. And your lab, the body and media lab at Northwestern. So you guys conduct research exploring issues around body image. And I'm curious about some of the topics you've been diving into as of late. This just seems like such a rich area full of so many topics.
2: It's so rich. And I'm also blessed to have a really excellent group that I work with, um, a group of students who are completely inspiring and interesting. And so they're always coming up with new topics, too. So we mostly study women's body image, although we sometimes study men as well. Um, and we've looked at a lot of different topics. We we study the, the sexual objectification of women's bodies, uh, both in media images, but also what we call interpersonal self-objectification. So that's when, when other people objectify you directly by catcalling or harassing or things like that. Um, We've been studying a lot about clothes recently, Mm. um, about fashion, uh, because uh, about a year ago I wrote an op-ed about high heels, um, and I I made a point about women being more likely to wear clothing that hurts. Mm -hmm. Um, And the editor at the time said, oh wait, do we really have any evidence that this is true? (laughs) What? (laughs) And I thought, well, look. But um, also, I think that's a fair question, right, to ask for some empirical data. So we've started studying that um, and looking at how much more often women compared to men wear clothing that that physically hurts or makes it difficult to breathe, makes it difficult to move in certain ways, leave welts on their body, things like that. Um, And then how that type of clothing choice relates to how you feel about your body and how you use your body. So We've been looking at that too.
0: Mm, See, that's fascinating. First of all, was that editor, can I guess it was a male? (laughs) It was
2: not. (gasps) But um, honestly, I I don't think she was saying it wasn't happening. I think she was saying, um, she was saying, let's cite some evidence. Um, And so I can get behind that. That's something I tell my students to do all the time. Um, But when she said that, I thought, well, I don't really have evidence. But Um, I'm always telling my classes, well, that's an empirical question. So it's an empirical question. We got some empirical data to answer it.
0: See, that's fascinating, too, because it is such a widely discussed and known topic in terms of body image and fashion Mm -hmm. and how we torture ourselves. But it it does feel, at least from an outsider, it does feel like an under-researched topic in an academic context. Like that, I think, is there are a lot of thought pieces and conversations, but maybe not research on it. So that's fascinating that that could be like an area where you could actually do research.
1: Yeah, I think it
2: depends on how you look at it. So there's a huge body of literature on body images and eating disorders, for example. And there's a lot of work coming out a lot of different fields on media exposure and body image. Mm. But where we miss academic literature is in these maybe more everyday questions like, you know, how many women are wearing shoes they can't walk in, you mm-hmm. know, and, and how often are they doing it? And why? Or um, what is how do you actually feel when you cat called? And mm-hmm. what does that do to your psychology? And so I think there are a lot of these, um, what I would call applied um, questions. So they're not real basic science, but more about what's literally going on in the world right now, that you can do really cool research on.
0: That's fascinating. With the um, stuff like clothing, that's uncomfortable. It's interesting because like you're saying, it hasn't necessarily been studied with applied science, but I think people understand the historical and cultural context for it and are thoughtful about, you know, the history of fashion and how we ended up here. But looking at it right now and going, okay, well, you know, how many people are at this point with awareness still doing those things? um, And how does it Mm -hmm. affect them? That's fascinating. Um, And through your research, I'm just curious about some of the other things, like some of the things you found. So you use a term called mutual body dispar- disparagement. And I'm curious about what that is and how you see it playing out in social situations.
2: So I think we see this a lot. I used to think we saw it more in young women, but um, I'm more and more coming around to thinking um, that we see it in women of all ages. So it would be um, if you and I were to meet up, I might be like, oh, I ate so much over Thanksgiving," and look, my, my pants are too tight, my thighs are getting big. And then I would look to you to say something in return. What what would you say to me?
0: Oh, no, you look amazing. I'm so fat.
2: And I'd be like, no, no, you, you are the one who always looks amazing, right? right like, right. <laughs> it's just me. Um, And it, it sort of devolves into this conversation in which no one ends up feeling better.
0: Right. right. No
2: one feels better at all. And on top of that, you've sent some pretty nasty messages to anyone who's overheard you. Mm -hmm. right um Mm -hmm. you've suggested to them that the worst thing possible is gaining weight Mm -hmm. that you should be concerned about it all the time and you also send this really subtle message when you do this kind of body disparagement when you talk about how you look all the time you're saying yeah this is what we have to talk about this is what's important to us this is what matters and you're giving permission to other people to talk about women's bodies that way too Mm -hmm. and that's what really worries me um Part of wanting other people to respect our bodies um, should be us learning to do the same um, and helping to teach other women to do that, too.
0: Mm -hmm. So when people do that, is there research into why that happens? Is it to sort of bring your status down or like to what's the sort of motivation? in that? Because that's so familiar to so many people, but I've never really thought about why we do that
2: hmm So women have a few different reasons for doing it. Sometimes women do it to preempt criticism, mm. whether imagined or real, right? So if you feel like you have gained weight, or if you feel like you're eating something that's not very healthy, it's like you're saying, I already know this is true, right? Mm. I know it, so don't judge me, right. right? I'll judge myself first, so you don't do it. But I think the biggest reason women do it and what we find in our research is that they think it's going to make them feel better. Mm. I think women in particular, when we hurt, we reach out to people. Um, you know, so if you were depressed or anxious, I would say, absolutely, talk to your friends. Right. Right. But it ends up that depression and anxiety are a little bit different than some of these body image issues. Because if you come to me and say, Oh, I've been feeling really depressed lately, it's not contagious. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I'm not gonna think. Oh, me too. Me too. Wait, I'm no. I'm depressed, right? Not you. Yeah. Um, But on the other hand, this is what we do with a lot of our body image struggles, which is complicated by a really sexist culture in which we think it's cool to talk about women's bodies all day long, but that women shouldn't actually accept compliments about how they look. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly. So
2: if I say to you, "Oh, I look awful," and you're like, "Oh, sorry." You know, there's this sort of implicit thing. They're like, wait, you don't think you look awful?
0: Right, right. <laughs> it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah. There's really yeah, no absolutely. way to to get around. And also, I think we we know the level of scrutiny put on our bodies by ourselves and others. And we feed into it, too, when we compliment each other. Because sometimes yeah. I feel like, you know, we're we've been trained in social situations when you see another woman to immediately compliment something about how she looks. And it's just like a thing because we know how much it would matter to us it's so bizarre it just feels like every interaction especially now you know you watch Real Housewives and like every interaction with a group the first five minutes I was like oh my god you look cute you look cute you look cute and then they turn around and you know say something bad about each other but it's just this sort of way that we like I don't know it's like the looks are always we are judging each other we're judging ourselves and it's just so Mm -hmm. insane how intense it is when you like take a step back and go oh yeah we do this Uh all the time. Um. And it's
2: our go-to bonding strategy, Mm -hmm. right? And so I, since I started working in this area, um, I would say I'm down to almost never saying anything to a woman about how she looks. Mm. Um, And I have found it much harder than I would have anticipated because often you see someone, especially if they look a little different, like maybe they got a haircut or they got a new outfit. um, We're so used to just saying something about that immediately. You know, you look cute. You look great um and every time i feel that impulse instead i replace it with a question so that's my strategy um, is, is i say what are you working on what have you been up to lately you know what are you doing this weekend or sometimes instead of saying oh my god you look great i just say i'm really happy to see you
0: I'm i really love that that's amazing and also just what you mentioned earlier with the overhearing you may say something and there's someone in the room and they're like well they didn't compliment my eyebrows. So what do I yeah. look like? Yeah. So just, it also yeah. just
2: makes you start thinking about how you look. Mm-hmm. And, um, I am human. I am, I'm, <laughs> I think about how I look. I'm aware of it. Yeah. I don't want, I want to think about it more. Right. 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 It's just not really, it's just not really what I want to talk about with people. Um, I'd rather have those first few minutes of conversation back for something else.
0: I love that. I love that. I'm totally adopting that. That's a great Uh, idea. And if someone compliments me, I'm just going to say thank you and then like look Mm -hmm. them dead in the eye and then wait for them to freak out. (laughs) And you mentioned also with age. I'm curious if that's something that changes with age.
2: So I don't think it does. When we first started studying that kind of body disparagement, which we call fat talk or negative body talk to be a little more inclusive there, um, we thought it was something that uh, you know, kind of like 20 somethings we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we got into it more and sort of broadened our sample, we we don't really see a drop off in fat talk um, until around age 70.
0: Interesting. Um,
2: which, uh, so you might be fat talking, your mom might be fat talking, uh, depending on your age, your grandma might be doing it too. Wow. Right? It's, it's really, it's really widespread. And, and once you open your eyes to it, you also see it in all kinds of media. I feel like I can watch a television show or movie now without immediately hearing some sort of like fat shaming or body commentary or something like that. And, um, it it just slips into our conversation, I think.
0: Yes. Well, that's also when you're
1: thinking about it in that context, it makes you want to. This episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com. It's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news...
0: check out so much more because I was saying on a previous podcast when I was you know 12 is when I started becoming very conscious of my body and now I'm 32 and it's like 20 years later I'm still thinking about it and you start to go oh mm-hmm. this is gonna be your whole life how much mental space you're being forced to put aside and focus on this stuff that's very ephemeral and doesn't really have any meaning mm-hmm. and when you hear that it can happen and it often happens until you're 70 It's like, oh my God, what kind of life do I want to live? I don't want to look back on my life and think about how much energy I spent on my looks and my weight. It's crazy. Right,
2: Right. I I want some of that time back. I want it back now. Exactly. I I want it right now. And I can tell you some good news Mm. about aging though, is that women seem to, as they age, do a better job appreciating what their body does, Mm. which is really important. Um, On the other hand, we often see women's body satisfaction staying fairly stable um, because it's like they're getting better at appreciating their body, which is good. But as we age, we also move away from our cultural body ideal, Mm. right? So you're contending with these two different forces where you're like, yeah, part of me can just check out from this now. I don't care as much as I used to. But when you do think about it, it's like, oh, you know, every woman over 40 just disappears from media, you know, unless she looks like she's 20 or unless we're mocking her. Yes. Um, And and that's a lot to contend with as we age.
0: Yes, because it's not only now the pressure to look a certain way, but to be young. There's a a few comedians I've heard do different takes on this really funny idea to me that, um, you know, you disappear when you're over 40. And they're like, that's a superpower. I mean, to no (laughs) longer have to deal with the bullshit anymore is actually a gift, if you look at it that way. Um, Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, I'm curious, so... You published a study in 2010 about self-objectification during the sorority rush process, and I did not rush sorority. I'm not really part of that world at all, Um, but I'm really, I know from just being in groups and uh, groups of women and knowing some of the details about what the rush process involves, I'm curious about the study and what you found and the effects of being in that group on um, body acceptance.
2: Sure. Um, So that study was really spearheaded by a former student of mine who's who's now a clinical psychologist, Ashley Rolnick, and she was a member of a sorority. So I always want to say that this wasn't like we set out to trash sororities or something like that. It's not what we were doing. But we had studied for a while in our lab how self-objectification or that kind of like body monitoring and body surveillance, how it can go up and down in different contexts. And so we were starting to think about, well, when when would it be really bad? Like, when would you really be focused on how your body looks? And we thought of sorority rush as mm. kind of a perfect example of when this happens. So I don't know if your listeners know a lot about sorority rush. It's a little different from place to place. But it basically involves getting dressed up, uh, being put into a group, and then kind of like walking around from place to place, usually house to house, or it depends on the school. Um, and having these very brief interactions with current members of sororities. Um, And when I say brief, I mean minutes. Um, And what happens is as the process continues, you go to fewer places for longer periods of time. But even at the end, you're still talking about pretty brief interactions. So it's hard to believe that your looks aren't really playing a big role in an impression like that, Mm -hmm. right? When you're not really having a chance to get to know someone. Um, And so what we wondered is, would going through sorority rush really make women's body image a lot worse because Mm of that? Um, But we found something, I don't know if I want to call it entirely unexpected. Uh, What we found is that sorority rush didn't make it worse, but instead, the women who chose to go through sorority rush, who sought that out. Um they already had worse body image.
1: Interesting. So they
2: basically um, there, there was something in that group that all was already struggling more. Wow. Um, and then we found something really awful, maybe one of the worst things um, I've ever found in a study, um, which is we studied the group of women who dropped out. So these are people who who say they want to join a sorority and they go through it for you know a couple of the stages and then they quit. Um, so you can quit for a variety of reasons. Maybe it's because you're getting rejected from sororities or maybe you're rejecting them, right? Maybe you just decide it's not for you. Um, but what we found is that as women's body size went up, they were systematically more likely to drop out. Um, so the heavier you were, the less likely you were to make it through the sorority rush process. And that's a pretty devastating finding. You know, we don't, we can't say exactly why, um, but it's certainly something we're thinking about.
0: Yeah, that correlation. I mean, that's fascinating. The idea, too, I mean, I just from my own experience, I definitely did, I had no interest in sorority rush. It does feel like you are being subjected to more judgment than just day-to-day life, like you are putting yourself out there for judgment. Um, I'm curious now how some of that might relate to online dating which feels very similar to the way you described it where you're putting yourself out there yeah. to be judged for a very short amount of time um and what that effect would would be on body image as well I mean sounds like the way you described the process I'm like oh yeah that mm-hmm. reminds me of how horrible that process is
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't thought of that parallel but I I think it's it's perfect, right? It's the same thing. It's um, you know, someone might be literally looking at your picture for five seconds. Yeah. Um, and deciding if you're a worthy human being. And if you think about the time people spend trying to find just the exact photo or set of photos to, you know, represent themselves as sexy but not too sexy and yes. <laughs> what else they're going for. Um oh my God. It, it forces you to spend a ton of time thinking about how you look which is already a big part of the dating process right yes. to be honest about that but i do think that in particular apps like tinder and grinder right that they're sort of upping that process cuz they give you so little information about a person besides how they look
0: yes that's fascinating and if any do you need any evidence of what you were talking about before i'm just thinking making this connection now of the evidence that Women in general are very thoughtful about how they're perceived and judged and men don't spend as much of their mental energy on that. Like look at dating profile pictures because sometimes it would be like (laughs) all these women are just thinking so much about how they're going to be judged and how they're going to be perceived. And men just put up like an up the nostril insanely fuzzy photo where you're like, oh, you – don't at all care how anyone looks at you. <laughs> Got it.
2: So. Although take a look at Grindr if you want to see an alternative to that perspective. Yes.
0: Oh, my God. So I wanted to ask you about that. Last week we had on a wonderful guest named Tim who is a gay man and talked about how his coming out, he dealt with gay body image, uh, you know, I don't know the right word. I'm going to say something offensive. Like culture. I don't know the right word. But <laughs> that once you come out and you are part of also being scrutinized by the male gaze and you are part of – that, um, world that his body image really suffered. Um, so I'm curious what the research shows about body image and the struggle for gay men in particular.
2: Yeah, we've done a lot of work in this area. And in part, it was inspired by a Buzzfeed article. And I'm afraid I forgot who wrote it. It was a few years ago. Um, and it was called, it gets better unless you're fat.
0: Ooh, ooh, that's good.
2: And, and it was a really sort of devastating article about, um, Fat phobia in the gay community, in, in particular. Um, and there, there's some controversy in this area of research because I think people are trying to be really careful not to stereotype, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I think that we have enough research now that I feel pretty confident interpreting it to say that um, we do see higher levels of body image disturbance, eating disorders, steroid abuse, behaviors like that among gay men compared to straight guys. Mm-hmm. Um, Now, there can be a lot of different reasons for that, but you really do hear a a lot of pain from gay men around this, and they feel a lot of pressure. And if you look at the media culture that targets gay men, so magazines, websites, ads, things like that, uh, where gay men are at least a part of their target demographic, you see a lot of the same kinds of completely over-the-top sexual objectification that you see at images targeting women. Yeah. Yeah, um, and and so there's definitely a parallel there. Uh, yeah. and this is this is sort of weird academic language, but we talk a lot about being a target of the male gaze. Mm-hmm. G a z e. I I should clarify, um, <laughs> not not the other way. But yeah. <laughs> in essence, right, what gay men are facing is that same thing. So they know what that's like to be objectified by other men.
0: Yeah, there's. I totally understand too. I feel like there's hesitation to describe anything within. The gay community or even use the word community or describe it as a monolith and mm-hmm. it just feels like this really new untapped area of research I think with women there's a lot more conversation about body image and the struggles and what we've been told throughout history and I think just now I'm hoping there's more conversation like that really well titled op-ed it gets better unless you're fat like the amount of scrutiny and um, the images that that are being fed to gay men as well about about the mm. ideal. I, th- I think that's an area that just is so under-discussed and um, under-worried about right now. Um, yeah, and
2: I think gay men are doing a good job leading the way and showing that you can be open about these struggles, Mm -hmm. right? That it's, that it's okay to be vulnerable about it and talk about it. And if you look at people who study men's body image in general, so regardless of sexual orientation, one of the arguments is that in some ways men can have it harder at times because there's not a climate where it's considered okay to talk about worrying Mm. about how you look. Whereas women for many years, we've just made this a part of our lives. Like we're very open about it.
0: Yeah. That's fascinating. Um, and yeah we just we're very aware while we participate and are forced to participate in it there's an awareness of it and we're able to talk about we talk about it and talk about it, um the ways it's affecting us and i've also seen as you know everyone has recently that there's a lot more marketing about body positivity body acceptance and mm-hmm. some of it as a consumer and just a person in the world rings really false where You're like, okay, I'm trying to love my body. The culture is saying I shouldn't. But maybe this brand just realized they could sell me a product by telling me to love myself. And I don't really get like – there's nothing really behind it. It just feels like another marketing tactic.
2: I agree. It's called femvertising. Oh. It's a a co-optation of feminist ideals in order to sell things. Yes. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I think it's well-intentioned. Like, if you're going to try to sell me something, I'd, I'd rather have you at least pretend to do it in an empowering way instead of, you know, by hammering me with sexist dribble. Like, yeah. if I had to pick, that's okay. But I think we need to keep in mind, right, what the ultimate goal of any ad campaign is. Yeah. It's not to make you feel better about yourself. Um, and in fact, if you feel better about yourself, you probably wouldn't buy so much stuff. Yeah. Right? And that, doesn't, that doesn't help anyone. But I think yeah. beyond marketing, there's also, like you mentioned, um, what could broadly be called just the body positive movement. And I think there are elements of that movement that are deeply unhealthy and unhelpful for women. Um, and we need to really be careful about what kinds of images are you know, being used to supposedly promote body positivity and what kind of messages and what they're actually doing. I don't think they're always doing what people want them to do.
0: Yeah. I'm curious if you have like an example. I mean, obviously not naming names or brands, but if one mm-hmm. that may be unhealthy or something where in your mind you went, oh, that's actually not sending a good message.
2: So I am not a fan of before and after shots, mm. for example. Um, I, I understand that if you're trying to transform your body and you do that, you want to like share it with people and get praised for it. But a before and after shot is not psychological healthy for, psychologically healthy for most of the people seeing it, mm-hmm. right? What if you look like the before? Right. What, what kind of message is that thing? I also think we have to be careful um, not to send women the message that they need to feel beautiful and sexy all the time. It's right. not your job to feel beautiful and sexy and to show off your body to other people. If you want to, fine, right? Mm-hmm. But you shouldn't have to feel beautiful in order to feel okay, right, to feel yeah. like a worthy human being. Most of us are not beautiful. We're never going to be beautiful, um, no matter how many stickers say you are beautiful, right? That's <laughs> that's not really that stickers don't do that, right? That's not how it works. Um, what I really would love to see more of in body positivity movements is a push toward Um, being kind to your body, Mm -hmm. being compassionate to your body, treating your body with respect, right? Taking care of your body and not treating it like an enemy. Mm -hmm. To me, that's body positive. You should be able to be body positive no matter how you look and you shouldn't have to put one picture of yourself in a bikini online in order to do it.
0: Yes. Yes. And to the point of the negative effects, I don't know how I feel about Instagram. I feel like I've gone (laughs) on numerous rants about it lately. And... I think what it does to me is if I'm, if I'm scrolling through... Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And, what do I
1: even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier,
0: starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed And I'm going about my day and um, I see one of those photos or I see something Mm -hmm. of a person who's presenting how conventionally beautiful they look. Whatever sort of values I have on myself and whatever sort of things I got going on, all of a sudden I'm instantly like, I don't look good enough. It just Mm -hmm. triggers the sort of feeling of comparison and lack of self-worth. And so I don't know if Instagram or like the effects of it are really well documented but I wonder just from your research, if you have any insight into if the yeah. culture of social photo sharing has changed body image or what the effect might be. Yes, it's awful. Okay. It is well
2: documented. <laughs> I should say we have good data on this from a number of different research labs using lots of different methodologies. Social media, bad photo driven social media, worse. Okay, right? thank you it's so seeing, much for saying this. I feel it's, so no, seen. the way you feel is is exactly what you see in research. It's it's human. You can't turn off that part of you that compares yourself to the images you see. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some very straightforward advice about that. Every time you see one of those images, unfollow or hide that person. Yeah. Um, and I take another step, which is then I replace it by following an animal account. <gasps> yes. um, this is my big movement on Instagram. I, I didn't want to do Instagram, but I, <laughs> I was asked to do it to promote my book. So I'm trying to be a good book promoter. Um, <laughs> But what I found is that anytime I saw something like that unfold, added a dog, um, I now have a feed full of dogs and red pandas and um, capybaras and all sorts of delight. And I look at Instagram now and feel nothing but pleasure. So oh, that makes me uh, so I, happy. I think that's the answer. But I think we also need to challenge ourselves when we're about to post one of those pictures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows what you're doing. It's no secret that it's all filtered. Like, right. <laughs> I'm kind of a friend at work. The more pictures she posts, the fewer wrinkles she has. And I don't want to see a 50 year old woman with no wrinkles. Right? right? I don't don't think that's feminist. I don't think that's body positive. Um, But I do like red pandas. So (laughs) so when we post those photos that that are we're trying to patch up our own self esteem, and we're trying to get praise and reassurance, I just want to say it's normal, it's human, but it doesn't work. Yes. Right. All you're doing is feeding into this culture, and if it worked, you wouldn't have to keep doing it. Yes. Right. You you you'd collect up the you're so hot, you're so beautiful, um, and then you'd be like, sweet, I'm all set.
0: Yeah, now I it's can so everything. ephemeral. It just feels like you have to keep doing it. You have to keep feeding the beast. It's not like that power and that happiness and the dopamine rush from knowing you're attractive lasts longer than no. five minutes. No
2: not even five minutes. And in fact, this has been studied experimentally. Um, You end up feeling worse, right? Within minutes, you end up feeling worse Um, from getting complimented, from reading compliments of other people on Instagram images, from posting selfies. um, None of these things are making women feel better. And they're all playing a role in this culture that just says, look at me, look at me, look at me. This is the most important thing about women, right? It is to be looked at. It is to look good in a certain narrowly defined way. And I want to be clear, I'm not trying to shame anyone. I think there are people who make a really good argument that like, hey, women live in a culture that prizes certain things. You can't criticize them for playing by the rules. Right, right. Right? And And I get that. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying, if you're worried about your psychological health, right, if this is something that's hurting you, we know why it's hurting and it's okay to stop.
0: Yes, that's genius. I I will shame people. I will shame myself mostly for participating in it, but it is true. It's just this huge, It's I just describe it as like, it's the water we're swimming in. We don't even see it. It's just everywhere around us. So of course we participate in it. Of course we have to. And the um, mute button on Instagram is an amazing innovation because mm-hmm. you can you don't have to worry about, oh, they saw you and followed them. You can just kind of quiet yep. it down and replace it with animal photos. I'm so on board with that. I do it all the time. I yep. love it. That's great. Um, and it's re- it's backed up by a PhD. So people should <laughs> definitely do it. Um, and I'm curious, too. So you have so much insight into this whole field and the ways uh, what we do makes us feel worse or better and all these effects of all these ills. Um, what might you recommend for people who want to live healthier lives? And I'm also curious for parents, if you have any advice on how to help stop perpetuating the cycle with children, because I know a lot of people absorb a lot of ideas from their parents, whether or not it's intentional, it's just sort of like Mm -hmm. their stuff, and you just see it. So any advice people have would be awesome.
2: Yeah. So let's start with with parents, in particular parents of daughters, but I think it applies to sons as well. It applies to all genders. So one of the first things you can do is get your own body image issues in check. Mm -hmm. And I understand that's easier said than done. I'm not saying you can just wake up one day and, you know, have nothing but compassion for your body. But what's important to do is at least get it under control enough that your kids don't need to know about it. Um, so that means no more disparaging your own body in front of them, um, or disparaging other people's bodies, right? So just knock off the body talk altogether. Um, no more talk about diets and losing weight and toning up and not liking your stomach pooch, none of that, right? you you might still feel it. And I think that's human. That's okay. But it doesn't have to come out of your mouth. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the other big challenge parents face is that they do worry about their children's health, right? They know we live in a climate now um, in terms of like food and exercise behavior that's not particularly conducive to health. And so they want to keep their kids on track. But if you look at um, recommendations by medical professionals it's really clear that the best way to keep your kids healthy is to not talk about weight in the home period Mm. don't talk about your own weight don't talk about their weight right instead teach them that we exercise because it feels good right Mm -hmm. because it's good for our brains because it keeps our bodies strong Um, teach them to eat intuitively and to know when they're hungry and when they're not and to listen to what their body needs and wants with respect to fuel those are key behaviors for breaking a cycle of negative body image in the home. Mm-hmm. But you can also think carefully about how you compliment your kids. And I know people get mad at this all the time, but I think stop calling your daughters pretty, mm-hmm. right? Stop saying how beautiful they are. At least don't say it so much. Um, every time you're about to do that, think, what else do I appreciate about my daughter? Yeah. Right? And compliment something she has more control over and think about how you dress if you have little girls especially dress them in clothes they can move in oh gosh right yeah dress them in clothes that are comfortable don't use them as a decoration yeah. right don't teach them you know from age 1 on that the primary purpose of their body is being cute yeah right when you when you put them in a little dress that they can't crawl in when you put distracting things on their heads and tights that pinch right you're teaching them that how their body feels isn't what's most important. It's whether people say, oh, you're so cute, right? Put them in something soft and comfortable, even if you have to go in the little boy's section to get it.
0: Yeah, that's really good advice. I can also say as someone who was not cute, I grew up with way more character and a (laughs) personality. So (laughs) being cute isn't really all it's cracked up to be. Um. And for ourselves and our friends, like what recommendations would you make? I I love what you said about just in general, the same thing, not um, not complimenting or talking about bodies.
2: I know it's hard and I'm not saying don't ever do it. You know, people like what? I can't ever tell someone they look pretty. No, I'm not saying that. Like, But think about dialing it back right? Mm-hmm. Think about not making it go to way to bond with other women. Yeah. Um, every time you cut out a little of that conversation, you're just making room for something else. That's, that's all. So that's one of the things we can do. We can watch our own social media habits, mm-hmm. um, really think about what we're trying to communicate with the images we post of ourselves and why, mm-hmm. right? And taking an inventory around that. I had a class do this once where I just said, pull out your your phones and look for yourself at the most recent picture you posted of yourself. What kind of reaction were you hoping for? What were you trying to communicate? And I have to say probably half the class hung their head in shame. Oh. <laughs> It was like they just didn't even think about it. Right. But when they went back and reflected on it, they're like, oh, yeah. Right. What was I trying to do with that? Um, It's okay to let your values shape your social media use, whatever they are. Um, We don't have to just sort of go along with the current. We can we can think about what matters to us and make more room in our life for those things.
0: That's so good. so good to hear you say because I talked on this podcast with a dietitian who's coming from such a different background and field of research in dealing with weight and body image and all these things and she too her advice was really about values and questioning is what I'm doing in line with my values am I doing this thoughtlessly and like don't feel shame if you are that's totally okay but am yeah. I what what are my deeper values and how do I just Focus on those when I'm feeling all these pressures, and I'm and I'm thinking about the way I behave. What what do I really care about? Yeah,
2: I think and your your other interview, you might have said this too. That don't underestimate the way that small changes can add up. Mm. I think sometimes this problem feels so big, right? It's like, yeah. hey, if you've been hating your body for twenty years, right? How are you supposed to stop doing that now? Yeah, right. But small little changes can make a real difference. And you have more power than you think, right? Mm-hmm. You can control what you talk about. You can challenge your friends to get on board with that. And you need to do a lot more walking away, right? Yeah. Walk away from the websites that hurt you, from the Instagram you know, posts that hurt you, from the media that hurt you. Stop watching television programs that make you obsessed with how you look, right? Just walk away, Just right? Walk Decide away. that you deserve better than that.
0: Yeah, 100%. Um, and in your talk, which was phenomenal, you talk about the ephemeral power that comes with beauty, not even just the ephemeral power you, or the happiness you feel from a validation that doesn't last, as you said, it makes you feel worse, but the idea that like, if you really think about beauty and what we've been told we have to strive for and what our value is, it is ephemeral. At the end of the day, you are chasing something that is so not lasting. its It's really weird when you start to think, this really doesn't matter. And what are we doing? Um, So I'm just curious to talk about that. I think that's a really interesting takeaway for listeners is like rechecking in with what you're, how you're participating in something where like Mm -hmm. literally it doesn't matter. Beauty, it doesn't last. It doesn't matter.
2: I mean, people say all the time that beauty is power. Um, And I'm a scientist, so I have to say yes, right? There's a certain sort of power in beauty um but it's not the power you get to keep um i often quote my 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 dear grandfather about this who as we were growing up used to always say never be too proud of your youth or your beauty because you did nothing to earn them and you can do nothing to keep them mm. right and i didn't think about it when i was young i think i think about it a lot now so what's the alternative then right i talk to a lot of women who are around my age, I'm 42 and, and they'll say they're terrified. <laughs> they're like, Hey, I've been good looking all my life and it's gotten me a lot of stuff and I'm going to lose it. And what's going to happen. And maybe I should just have plastic surgery. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think the only antidote to that is from a young age to build a different source of power, right. Mm-hmm. To think about power that you get to keep, right. Um, So that's the power that comes from strong relationships with other people. It comes from wisdom and experience and hard work and practice. It comes from learning and education, right? The more you build the foundation of your life on those things, people can't take those away from you. Right. Right. That's power that you're actually in control of. You're never in control of the power you get from looking sexy because all it takes is one stranger to be like, no, you're an ugly dog. (laughs) Right. And it's all over.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that voice would be so much more powerful than any of the other voices and all of those other sources. That would just be the mm-hmm. one that you focus on. So, yep. yeah, 100%. I mean, you have so much academic insight. I love to just add on a really dumb Judge Judy quote. Um, she says, beauty fades, dumb is forever. I think that's like a guiding principle. <laughs> like If you are <laughs> really thinking about uh, the stuff you care about, some stuff is... Forever, you know, and that's the most important stuff. Um, Dr. Engel, Engel, this has been such an incredible conversation. You've really shed light from – it's really great to hear because these are all so – like in academia, Academia, I feel like there aren't um, a lot of ways for – commoners to understand these <laughs> things and like even know they're being researched and that the stuff we experience is scientifically backed and documented. And so I think even just knowing that all these things we're feeling and thinking and wondering about, that there is science behind it is really cool. And also to know that this research can help push, the, uh, help push society forward, help us understand ourselves and what we're doing and um, combat some of the negative stuff a little better um so i really i'm grateful for uh, you coming on i'm grateful for the research you do i think it's the best so i really appreciate it thank you it's my pleasure forever
1: dog this has been a forever dog production executive produced by brett Boehm, joe cilio and alex ramsey for more original podcasts please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com